So for the first couple of projects that we did, we partnered with other operators to help them with those projects first to kind of build our credibility and get our feet wet. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Dan Hanford. Dan is a commercial multifamily syndicator and host of the online conference, Multifamily Investor Nation Summit. In this episode, Dan will share his story of how he got into multifamily investments and how he was able to establish a massive presence in the community in a relatively short time frame. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are and how you got into real estate investing. It's a long story, but I'm Dan Hanford, uh, founder of the Multifamily Investor Nation, as well as a group called PassiveInvesting.com. And I, my main purpose of getting into real estate really was from the tax side of things. So I had, uh, I have five medical clinics that I have here in South Carolina that I own, and I, and I, I say I run them, but I have a good CEO in position that primarily runs the organization, and I kind of play the Warren Buffett role in them right now. And so I manage the CEO, and he manages the other fifty employees in the entity. And I also have another company where we we have uh, a company called ShopAnatomical.com. We sell all kinds of skeletons and skulls and brains and hearts and plastic anatomical model, models to colleges, universities, and professional offices around the world. And that's a seven-figure business that I've had for about 12 years now, and it is passive as well. And so when I started to make some money, I started to have to write these large checks to the government, and I was tired of doing that. And so real estate was that ticket for me to help to reduce my taxable liability. And so uh, once I started to look inside the real estate, multifamily, large multifamily real estate is really where I wanted to put my money and my time and energy and effort to be able to help my other professional friends that you know are also in that same position but they don't have the flexibility of being able to exit their business and, and, and do something full-time. So the syndication, the multifamily syndication space is really where I, where I landed. Yeah, your story was so interesting. I met you at the conference in San Diego a couple of weeks ago, and I remember you telling me this exact same story, and I was just so impressed because you're actually relatively new to the real estate investing space, right? Most of your success was because of your other businesses. I really started this thing about about a year and a half ago, and a year and a half ago is really when I stepped out of my business, and I I say I, I retired at 35, you if you will, and sat there for about a week, week and a half, and just was just bored, you know. And then I went to lunch with a banker out of Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I'm originally from. I actually live now in Columbia, South Carolina, and. She mentioned to me and reminded me of my my passion and my love for real estate, and I was like, "That's great," because that also helped my tax problem too, right? So it was kind of a win win situation. But I had I had already stepped out of something that I'd already taken to a really large level, and so I didn't want to go into something else that was going to be at a smaller level. I wanted to continue to grow and continue to go big, and also be able to help some other people that are in that same position like I am. And so I decided to go straight into this multifamily space and scale it. And we did a little over 130 million of acquisitions last year in 2018 and this year we're on par to do another 100 100 and a quarter so you just started and you're already over 100 million dollars in assets yes holy moly that's very impressive 
Well, you want to talk about how you got started with that? Well, I was going to say, I was going to dive into that a little bit because I, I, I couldn't have done this on my own. And I feel like, you know, the biggest thing that I did that helped me was number one, finding a mentor that I could reach out to on a regular basis that had already done what I was wanting to do and was already there. And so I also wanted to get access to them and not access to say maybe one of their coaches or their students. I want, I I don't mind paying a little extra to get access to that person so I can have their personal cell phone number. I can call them whenever I need to, and I can have my personal coaching and one-on-one calls with that person and not somebody else that they had coached. And so I, I, I sought out for that person and I wanted to make sure that they were already where they, where I wanted to be. And so I'm on, I'm on, I'm on a road right now to get a billion dollars of, of assets under management. And, uh, that person right now is, is almost there. So, but they, they are already on that path and they've already gone down the, the, the different, you know, I, you know, issues that along the way, cause we're at a point right now where we're like, well, if we're going to grow in the next four years to a billion under management, we have to start closing more than a hundred, 125 a year, a uh, hundred, 125 million a year. And so to be able to ask somebody that's your mentor, Hey, how did you get to be able to start closing two and $300 million a year in assets? You know, cause we got to continue to get to that level as we continue to grow. And it's great to be able to have somebody and a mentor to be able to do that. But for those people who might be listening and going, well, I don't really know if I want to grow that big or that fast. And you want to kind of start small. I would say the same thing though, where, however you want to get started, you need to figure out where you want to be and hire a mentor that can help you get to that point. And so you need to find somebody if you want to start off in the 30, 40, 50 units and grow to, you know, a thousand units over the next five years, go find a mentor that has already done that or is already on their pro on the way to that process and is almost there that can help you reduce your learning curve and allow you to get there faster. So a year and a half ago, you had lunch with your friend reminded you that you want to do real estate. What were your very next steps after that? The very next weekend, I was at a, at a, at a conference for multifamily investing. And so I immediately, I had already been reading books about it. So I'd already, you know, had a lot of knowledge. And so I jumped on an airplane, went to, into the very first event I could get myself into. And then right after that event, I realized that that wasn't the right mentor for me that, cause there was also a coach that was trying to put that on. I knew that wasn't the right fit cause they were kind of playing in the kind of the smaller mom and pop space. And that's not where I wanted to play. And so I continued to search out and find my mentor, found my mentor, hired him right away. And then twice a week I had phone calls with my mentor. And even now I try to get on the phone call with him at least once a week, um, depending on this, our schedules and stuff like that. But I try to get on there once a week with him so I can make sure that I stay focused and I stay on track. And throughout the week, I'll write down questions that I have that I want to make sure I bring up. So, cause a lot of times you get on those calls and you're like, I don't remember what those questions were. And so I'm very purposeful and being able to write those questions down so that when we have phone calls that can be answered and be very, 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 very focused phone calls as well. Do you want to give a shout out to your mentor? Sure, Joe Fairless. So Joe Fairless is uh, is my mentor, and you know you can obviously you know look him up or whatever. But he also has wrote, wrote a book in the last in the last uh, six months or so called the the best ever apartment syndication book. So if you're interested in that large apartment space, you know he's a great mentor for that. Yeah, I actually just had him on my show a week ago. I saw that. That's we great. Released, yeah, we released it. That's and awesome. So it was crazy being able to talk to him because he's at such a high level. So. I mean, obviously, it's not very common for people to reach out to someone at that high level when you're just starting fresh. What were your techniques to actually reach out to him 
to have him work with you in the first place. Sure. Well, he's he is very selective on who he who who he actually works with, and you know, like, unlike a lot of other mentors, he only accepts two people a month into his program, and it's because he doesn't have a lot of time to just focus on a hundred students, right? And I know that he does live up to that two a month because. You know, he has a closed Facebook group where all of his members members go to, and we don't see it growing a hundred a month, right? We only see one, two, maybe three a month that are going in there. So he's only doing two a month that he accepts um, into the program, and so he is very selective. And so what his his criteria is is he wants to see someone who has had some form of success in their background in order for him to work with them because he wants to work with people that he knows will take it to the next level. And so one of the things that attracted him to me, even though you know I was interviewing him at the same time time was he knew that I had had some success with my clinics and the businesses and various things like that. And so that was definitely something that helped me have a little bit of a leg up in the application process for him to be able to say, yes, he wanted to work with me. Yeah, it's amazing. What were the, some of the key techniques that he taught you that you probably didn't know beforehand? I don't know if it was something that I didn't know beforehand, but I didn't know how vital it was. But I would say the biggest thing for me was is, is, is creating some form of an authority platform that, like, like you're doing with this podcast, that allows you to be you know, elevated in, 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 in stature and in, in a position in your particular industry or in this market that allows people to point to you and, and think that you are that, you not think, but they kind of know that you are that authority person, right? So, I mean, me, I mean, you and I met for the first time, you know, back in, in this event uh, in, 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 in San Diego. And I think you had thought that I'd been doing it for many, many years because of how, oh, yeah. how I've built my authority platform and how many assets I have under management and the, and the kind of reach that I have right now. And it's because of that authority platform. So a lot of times when people you know reach out to me, they are just like you. They're shocked that I've only been doing this thing for 18 months and we've been able to scale as fast as we can. Now, a lot of that has to do with my own net worth and liquidity and being able to take down a lot of the, 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 a lot of the debt that we're, we're, we're doing right now um, because we don't have to go outside the group to be able to find that loan guarantor, that balance sheet to be able to acquire these assets. So we do all that in-house. So that is definitely has been a benefit. But one thing that he always pressed upon me was, is, is you've got to build your authority platform. That's what he did. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you follow him at all, you know, he has this large, you know, platform, you know, he has a, he even has a podcast called the best ever, uh, real estate investing advice ever podcast. And, you know, he gets 250,000 downloads on that thing. And he's just, he's just massive out there and it's a daily podcast. And so I originally started a podcast called the Tough Decisions for Entrepreneurs podcast. And then later on down the road, I decided to start the Multifamily Investor Nation. And then from there, built out the PassiveInvesting.com brand to allow us to be able to uh, you know, have, a, have a brand around our, our multifamily syndication space so that as we continued to grow, it would continue to build up as a brand. And also we can provide some free education for our multifamily investor friends to be able to learn from us, but then also elevate us in authority positions so that when we have projects that they can invest in, they'd be willing to invest in them as well because they've already provided, we've already provided so much value to them through the education. Yeah. And they see you as a trusted figure in the community. You know what you're talking about. Correct. Yeah. Like I read the same book, the best ever apartment syndication book ever. And I told Joe this on my podcast with him that, hey, you're the inspiration for this podcast because you said, all right, set up an authority platform. So I have my podcast. I have my blog. I have my uh, meetup groups that I have you know, twice a month. But you took it to the next level. Man, you have this crazy conference, MFIN, where you have over 70 speakers. And it's all online too. So tell me about 
MFIN. Yeah, so uh, my I'm on my entrepreneur podcast. So I started the, the 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 multifamily investor nation in the fall of 2018, and. When I started it, it was primarily just to leverage the Meetup platform to be able to expand my reach. And so now, right now, we have a little over 6,000 members and 50 different Meetup groups across the country. We have co-organizers throughout in each one of those markets. And my purpose of that was also to build up the multifamily investor nation. And I was not planning on doing any type of in-person events like like a live, long, large conference or anything like that. And I had never even considered doing a virtual or online conference until I had on my entrepreneur podcast, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Scott Carson. He has a podcast called We Close Notes. So he's a note buying person. And he talked to me about how he had a bad experience in a live event and lost a lot of money with it. And he said that from that point forward, he'd never do another live event like in person. But then that's when he started going down the virtual route. And when he did his first virtual event, he got several hundred people to come to this virtual event and actually pay a couple of hundred dollars for each one of those tickets to come to it. And he didn't have to pay for the speakers. He didn't have to travel. He didn't have to worry about a lot of the expenses. And he was able to use that money to market it to kind of fill it in with more, with more attendees. And I was like, that is brilliant. And so I actually invited him on for a second podcast where I dove even deeper for like an hour. I told him, I said, this is going to be a selfish podcast where I dive deep into what you're doing. And I'm going to duplicate it. And I'm going to do it for the multifamily investor nation. And I had two months to promote the last the last event that we did in January 2019. It took me two months to promote it. And we had 586 attendees with a ticket price of $299. And we had over 70 speakers, I mean, 60 speakers at that event. And it was phenomenal. I had a lot of great, great, great marketing behind it. It helped kind of push me out there and all the speakers were promoting the event. And it really was a, a very cohesive and um, coordinated uh, event that was done virtually. It was all online. And now we're doing another one in June of this of, of 2019. And we're already doing really be- really well with that one as well. And so my goal with it is, is to every like twice a year to be able to put this event on to be able to provide more content and value to the multifamily investing community. So I saw the event for the multifamily investor nation back in January. So I thought, okay, wow, this is another guy in the space, you know, like Brad Sumrock and, you know, uh, Joe Fairless. And I had no idea it was virtual until I actually looked into it more. I said, oh my goodness, it's virtual. And somehow he's managing to get a lot of people that I know personally to speak at this event. And then I saw the event again. So I'm wondering, whoa, was it already been a year already? We're just doing two a year. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really excited about it. And I, I, originally, I wasn't planning on putting these on. And, and then a lot of people are like, man, he's just making a ton of money off of these things. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I, my goal is not to make money with these events. So I take all the money, all but about maybe, I think last, the last event we did in January, I might've made five grand off of it. Okay. And we collected over six figures of that event. So this event, same thing, we'll collect over six figures. I'm probably only going to make about five grand on it. And the reason why is because I take all the money that we're making off of it and I put it back into the marketing so I can market it to fill more people into the funnel so that it will help the speakers and it helps me to be able to build our passive investor list. But also for people who attend the event, they also get access to the name and the contact name and email of everybody else who attended so that they can actually reach out to them afterwards and network afterwards that you wouldn't normally get at a live event. So it helps them fill their funnel with more passive investors, but also with other partners that they might want to partner with on a future opportunity or for a future project that they're putting together. So don't mind me asking, how do you set this up? 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's a longer conversation, but kind of in a nutshell, we, we have three different rooms. So you know, on virtual rooms. And so uh, a lot of people will ask, well, if there's 70 speakers and it's over three days, what do you give them like 10 minutes each just to be, to speak. And, uh, that's not, that's not, that's not the case. So each speaker gets 75 minutes, but we do also have panel topics. So there's six panels. So we'll have anywhere between three to seven speakers at each one of those panels. And so that's how we're able to fill up so many of the speaker spots. But each speaker that has a main session has 75 minutes. They usually go for 30 to 45 minutes on their, on their, on their content that they're providing and on their, on their topic. And then they'll have a live Q&A afterwards. So none of them are recorded. It's all live. There's live Q&A at the end. But there's three rooms going on at the same time. And so here in my office here in Columbia, South Carolina, Carolina, we'll have three different rooms set up inside of here, which will be for our moderators. And so it'll be myself and then our other two managing partners with our PassiveInvesting.com group, who will actually be the moderators for each one of the rooms. And uh, basically being able to introduce the next speaker and, and taking up the, the Q&A at the end and just making sure all the technology is working very well. So we definitely have to make sure we have good internet connections and backup internet in case it goes out and making sure that all the technology is working. But um, we're, we're definitely, from the marketing perspective, is really the play around it, which takes a lot more of the time and energy and effort away from us, is really trying to do things like this to help to kind of promote the event and and things like that so all your speakers are talking from home right they're not at your offices in south carolina that's correct so we had uh, the one in january we had people uh, tuning in and from uh, from the bahamas from germany from israel from canada from australia from all over the world so most of them of course are here in the united states but we had them from internationally as well and that's what's the power of a virtual event is you can get no you can get all these quality speakers into one event packed into a three-day time period where you wouldn't be able to do that in a live event because you're not going to get this many speakers to be able to coordinate their schedules to have to all fly to one location and spend 30 minutes with you in a session now they're going to be able to get a full 75 minutes and they don't even have to leave the comfort of their own home or office so what's the motivation for the speakers to come talk at your event? The motivation you... for the speakers is being able to be able to put them in an authority platform in front of all the speakers, I mean, in front of all the attendees. But what it also allows them to do is they also get advertisements because they are a speaker inside of our manual that we send out to all the attendees. And they also get to uh, have access to that, 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 that name and email address of the attendees following the event. Because I know even some of the speakers from the last event, they had passive investors that joined their list because we were able to elevate them in that authority platform in that authority position and they were also able to email them and email their their people that attended the event last time to add them to their passive investor list yeah that's a good point like when i have speakers come on this podcast uh, there's a good chance that someone of my listeners would actually contact the women speakers later on to like do business with them in the future. Absolutely. I mean, one of the number one ways that our group gets passive investors is doing these right here, doing podcast interviews. And I even have met in the past three weeks, like three local people in Columbia, South Carolina that have now invested in some of our projects to the tune of almost a million dollars because I found, they found me and heard about us on a podcast. And what are the costs of setting something like this up? Well, there's a couple of things. So obviously the marketing is the number one cost. Um, so we're spending most of the money that we make off of it on re reigniting the marketing even more and put, you know, putting more gasoline on the fire, if you will, from the marketing perspective to get more attendees, which is why you see us everywhere. We're all over Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, bigger pockets. We're on banner ads, we're on YouTube, we're everywhere. And it's because we have the funds to be able to market towards it. But as far as the technology, we're using a, we're using the zoom platform for technology 
technology-wise, they have a webinar platform that can have over a thousand webinar attendees at once. And so we're, we're leveraging that platform and we're having three rooms, virtual rooms in that platform. And so for the cost perspective, that, that usually runs about $500 a month, but we only have to activate it during the month we use it. So we won't even activate it it's like a week before the event. And then after the event, we just downgrade it to a normal plan. Yeah, that's really smart. Like if you were to host a live event, you'd probably spend that whole six figures on just the venue. Oh, absolutely. You'd be paying $150 a gallon just for coffee. <laughs> that's absolutely correct. So let's talk about your first project. So you got excited with real estate. You found Joe Fairless. You somehow persuaded him to be your mentor. You joined his program. Then what happened? So for the first couple of projects that we did, we co-sponsored or or partnered with other operators to help them with those projects first to kind of build our credibility and get our feet wet. And then the very first project that our group put together on our own, no other person as as the operator, was a a 130-unit property. It was an $8.9 million acquisition with another $2 million, say, in uh, in renovation. So it was about a $13,000, $14,000 renovation um, project that was taken taking a C-class property to a B-class property. And that one was actually given to us. I wouldn't say given. <laughs> that one actually came back to us after we had uh, lost the deal originally. So we had put an offer on this one and got all the way down to best and final and then increased our bid to $8.9 million and also put $100,000 on the line as, as, a, as an additional kind of motivator for the seller to give us the deal to uh, to for that earnest money deposit. So it's called $100,000 we put up that went hard day one um, if, if they accepted our offer. And so we got outbid by another group that bid it up by over $300,000 more than what we had. And they were putting $200,000 hard day one. And so we just passed on the deal. It was really upsetting because it was actually in a market that I grew up in, Greenville, South Carolina. I love that market. I know the market like the back of my hand. And I was really upset that we lost that deal. But I had to make sure that we didn't just try to get the deal out of off of emotion. We also have to use logic as well. And so we did pass on that deal. And then oddly enough, Four weeks later, the broker calls me up and says, that deal is back online because the original buyer could not get it done. They never negotiated the PSA to get the terms proper. And so no money ever exchanged hands. And so if you want it at your original offer, would you accept it? And I said, yes, absolutely. I'm not even thinking, right? So I'm just saying, yes, we'll take it at the other offer. We want it. And so immediately after that phone call, this is why mentors are important and direct access is important. I immediately, after that phone call, called Joe Fairless up and it was the most, I always always say it's the most expensive phone call I ever ever paid for because everything that I paid for was, 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 was for that phone call right there. Because I told him in the very beginning that I wanted his direct cell phone number so I'd have that access. And so I picked up the phone, called him. It was a minute and 47 second phone call because he's a very direct person and so am I, which is why we we work well together. And so I picked up the phone, called him. I told him the whole situation. He knew about the offer and everything. And I said, I'm thinking, you know, they're coming back to us. Should we lower the offer price or maybe reduce our hard money day one? Or, you know, what should we do? And he gave me some really good advice. He said, Dan, he goes, if the, if, the, if the numbers make sense at your last offer, just take it at that last offer. Make that broker's life easier because they'll pay you back in dividends in the future when they send you more deals and they talk to you about how easy you are to work with with other sellers. And I was like, no problem, Joe. It makes total sense and hang up with them. And the call was done in a minute and 47 seconds. And it was perfect advice. 
And so we, I called back the broker again, just confirmed everything, sent over the updated LOI, got it accepted, closed 60 days later on December 14th of 2018. And that was uh, our very first project that we did on our own. And it has been doing phenomenally well since we acquired it. We obviously have had a few little hiccups from renovations and things like that because of the holidays and things like that. But it's been a great asset for us and all of our investors are that are in it are, are getting the returns that they're looking for in it that we've projected, which is really cool. And kind of, you know, stepping forward a little bit on that asset, about two months ago, I had an investor come down to my office here in Columbia, South Carolina. It's lo- then they're located in Charlotte. And they sat down in my conference room and they said that we were talking about the different deals and stuff like that. And they said, you guys got that deal, you know, that project in, in Greenville? And I was like, yeah, that was us. And he's like, man, he goes, you guys got a phenomenal deal. He goes, we were $20,000 less on our offer and you guys got the deal. And I looked back at that and I was like, you know, I am so glad we did not try to reduce our offer price or reduce our hard money because at, right now we wouldn't have gotten that deal because there was somebody else right behind us that, that was wanting it for $20,000 less. And $20,000 is, is nothing, but you know, if we, in those types of large deals, when it starts to talk about return projections and stuff, but if we would have lowered the, the offer price, I guarantee you we probably would have gone down by probably 50 to 100 grand and they would have gotten the deal. It would have been a totally different conversation, but we stuck with, we stuck with what our mentor said. We got the deal, got it closed, and now we're on the other end of it, and that was our first deal. Congratulations. That's an amazing story. Now, after that, have you acquired some more properties since then? Yes, we have. So we've acquired, uh, we're now, uh, this this year, um, that was our first one we closed. We closed another one, two, three already this year. We have one more we're closing on, uh, in July, uh, on July 3rd. And we have another one we're closing on July 22nd. And we're working on two other deals, one in Raleigh and one in Charlotte right now. Wow, you guys are no joke, man. You guys are going hard. We're going, man. We're going. But I would say also that we wouldn't be able to do this if we didn't have a good group and a good team behind us. So it's not just me running these things. It's it's it's. It, I have two other really good, strong partners that um, manage the construction piece and the acquisitions piece, and then also somebody else that manages the the finance piece who does all of our financial analyzing and due diligence. And his his background is as a financial analyst for a top you know multifamily not multifamily but multi international uh, or multi billion dollar international like a consulting firm. And so his background is all in financial and analyzing. And so, you know, he's very good at what he does. Brandon, that's Danny. Brandon is really good at what he does. And I'm really good at what I do, which is investor relations and marketing and, and overall business operations. Yeah, that's pretty good. You always have to have a team that like supports you from all different sides. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you guys were first starting out, I guess you're helping out other people, you're co-sponsoring. What was your role in that? It was primarily from a capital raise standpoint. So we're joining their teams, making sure we're flying out of the properties, vetting the property, vetting the team, and uh, and bringing our investors in on it. And what that does for somebody in the very beginning is, number one, it helps build your credibility and your track record. Because in the beginning, I had never closed a deal. And so when I go to investors and try to say, hey, I want you to you know wire me 100 grand to be able to invest in a property that I'm putting together. And they're like, well, how many deals have you put together? And I'm like, uh, zero, <laughs> right? They knew me from the medical space, but not this space. And so being able to raise for other groups allowed me to leverage their experience and their credibility until I had enough of a track record with them. And then when I put my own deal together, they already see me as that multifamily expert, that multifamily person now. So when we're raising money for that first deal, it's pretty easy. That first deal we did, we raised those money, that, that money in four days. So we actually, the equity raise on it was 2.5 million. And we did that in four days. Wow. So if you're just starting out, 
you have no experience in multifamily. Let's assume that you don't have the same background as you do. What does someone do to try to raise $2 million for someone else's project? So I have a lot of different ideas on and things on that because you know, even though you don't might not have the track record in it, it's all about meeting people, networking, and getting referrals, and actually putting a face to other people that are are in that high net worth or accredited status. And so one of the things that you should do is is try to go to these local RIA clubs and meetups that are around real estate to find those people. But you also have to start thinking about how to put yourself in a position where you are the only person in the room looking for that kind of money because when you go to these RIA groups or these meetups, guess what? Everybody else is looking for that same person, right? We're all looking for that person in the room. And so you're, it's like when, that, when that high net worth individual comes in the room, guess what happens? It's like a fat rat on a Cheeto, right? So everybody's pouncing on that person, trying to get them to invest or at least you know build that relationship. And so what I try to do, and I always recommend other people to do, is get inside of a room where you're the only one looking for it. And so go to, go to executive clubs, go to golf and country country clubs, go and do some meetings on your own locally that it's just you as the expert teaching or you as the expert talking about these types of assets. And so that's the number one thing I would suggest. But another strategy that I would give to your listeners too is if if you're out there and you're going on podcasts like this, these are great podcasts to go on. It helps build your authority, helps build your brand, but also think about going on non-real estate podcasts because if you go on real estate podcasts, I mean, you know, you've already had multiple people on here that are looking for passive investors and so so yeah, I'm, I'm going to probably get a few passive investors from being on this podcast and, and your audience hearing and listening to me. But if I go on another podcast that's more like, say, business or entrepreneurship related, I'll get even more because it's the first time they've probably ever heard about it and they're going to be more interested in it and I'll have a larger reach because I'm the only one, I'm the only guest talking about it. And so I try to also get onto other types of podcasts and other types of events that I'm not that I'm the only one talking about it. You know, even before, you know, about two hours before this um, recording, I was being interviewed on another radio show. And so even doing podcasts is great, but also doing radio shows is also important. That's actually really good advice. I never heard that one before because I ask a lot of people, hey, what is your you know, keys to success? What are some tips you have for newbies? And they all said, the first thing you said, which was go to meetup groups, find a mentor that jazz with you, someone you want to be in five years, add value to them and learn from them. So that's good. But in terms of expanding your outreach, you're the first person that said, it's good to go to meetup groups, but not necessarily real estate meetup groups. Go out to other groups who don't know about real estate investing. When you say something, you, oh, that's new. I like what you're saying. Whereas there's actually like 15 people doing the exact same thing that you're doing. Absolutely. You got in this space, you have to be able to think outside the box and, you know, play smarter, not harder. And so obviously I like podcasts because I can spend, you know, 30, 45 minutes, you know, sitting on a podcast versus having to go fly to a kind of fly to another state and, and go to an event and stuff like that. I still do that. I still go to events. You know, I'm now in a position where I'm being invited to speak at various events. So I'm speaking at one event in July. I have two of them that I'm already scheduled for in August and three in September and one in October. And so I'm going to be flying quite a bit, but I'm actually now being able to speak at some of these events, but trying to put yourself in events that you're not the only one. And so I don't always just speak at, at, at multifamily real estate events either. I try to go to other business events and speak at those too. And I might, I might not be specifically speaking on multifamily. So there's one event where I'm teaching you know, marketing to uh, about two or 300 physicians about how, to, how they can bar- market their, their clinics better. And in the middle of it, I might have a, a picture of a slide on my PowerPoint of a multifamily apartment complex. And I'll go, oh yeah, and I wanted to talk to you a little about what I'm doing about multifamily, you know, oh by the way type thing. 
can spend you know three or four minutes talking about the the, the, the little you know elevator pitch on it and telling them hey if you have questions about it you know email me or you know find me afterwards and I'll usually pick up you know a dozen you know passive investors from from that kind of a speaking gig as well. I think that's the key word there. You're really good at marketing. So what makes you different from all the other let's say real estate investors who just think about buying the deal, operating it, but aren't really thinking on the marketing side? Like you're the only one I know of who started within a year and a half time frame that's already hosting their own conferences. I would say from a marketing perspective, it's it's all about uh, uh, really trying to hone in who you're trying to reach and just taking action. Because a lot of times we sit back, and I'm guilty of this too. So even though you see me everywhere, I, I think I should have done it six months earlier, right? Um, but we always sometimes will take will take too much time to think about something and try to put everything, all the different pieces together first before we get it in place. And so one of the things that you can you need to understand, whether it's be marketing or anything, and just take action. You know, I'm a big believer in what I call relentless implementation. You know, really trying to get yourself to the level of being able to you know, f- have an idea and implement it and, and, and don't, don't look back. Just continue to implement and to continue to correct and continue to fix. And I am guilty of that fire, ready, aim mentality, but I will say it might annoy my team when I, my, my team when I do that, but it has definitely allowed me to be able to scale and grow as fast as I have. And it also helps us to reverse engineer the systems and procedures and processes to put those in place um, so that when we actually move forward and uh, continue to grow, we can have those in place, but we're not just sitting there thinking about putting them in place or putting them in place as we are actually implementing. I think fire ready aim is better than just aim, 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 which is what a lot of people do, especially when they're not familiar with something. They feel like not confident. Like imagine if you're new and you decided to set up this huge conference event and what if it didn't work out, you know, like well, and people and, be scared and, for that. And the one thing that I did there was, is that the, the, the moment that I wanted to do that event, I set the date and I sent an email out and started to promote it. So I had already committed the date and I already sent it out to all my entire list. And so they already knew about it. So there was no looking back. There was no turning away. There was no, oh, I'm going to think about it. It's I set the date. I'm going to do it. As a matter of fact, now I have to do it because everybody else knows about it and I don't want to look bad. So it's going to happen. And so then it was from there was just reaching out to all the speakers that I had been building relationships with and inviting them to speak. And, uh, and I had maybe a handful of them that weren't able to do it because of various travel things that they had already been doing and stuff like that. But it was, it was, it was, ama- it was amazing to kind of see how everybody came together, the attendees and the speakers at that first event. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you're a pretty unique individual, right? Because you actually do take massive action when you need to. And it's not really real estate related because you were already doing all these things before real estate. Do you want to talk about... I guess your life and like what was maybe an inflection point that made you into a different person rather than someone who just works a typical nine to five job. I would say that that you know ever, ever since I was I was I was born I've kind of been an entrepreneur because you know even my mom tells me that you know when I was born you know the, the, the doctor you know smacked my behind and uh, I turned around or before he smacked it and said and, and wanted to negotiate which which cheek he was going to slap right. <laughs> Uh, one of those types of things, but you know, I, I've always kind of had that that drive within me, and you know, I I have always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I kind of always been an entrepreneur. I have started businesses, you know, when I was younger, you know, you know, going door to door selling cookies and and candy and doing pressure washing and and doing selling Cutco knives and you know cutting grass and anything I could do to be able to kind of have that that that, that ability to be able to you know work 
and earn money without having to be tied down to an hourly job. That's what I wanted to do. And I still had, over the years, I had a couple of jobs. I worked at Chick-fil-A for a few years, and actually for about nine months, excuse me, uh, and then realized that I didn't want to be making $5.10 an hour back then when I was working. And I'd been working there for nine months, and they gave me a 10-cent raise. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be finding something different. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I love Chick-fil-A. I eat there about once a week with my family. It's usually where we go before we go to our Wednesday night church service. We'll usually go to uh, go to a Chick-fil-A next to the church and, uh, and have dinner there. Um, and But I've, I've, I've always had that drive in me. And I will say this, though, that I was not really able to scale where I wanted to until I learned a couple of things. First off, I had to learn that I needed to, I was not, even though I'm the type of person where I feel like I can do everything better than everybody else. That's just kind of the flaw that I have inside of me. And, uh, and I still have it today. So I still feel like I can do everything better, but I had to come to the, the realization and have the mindset that I can't do everything if I want to grow and I want to scale. I need to be able to surround myself with good, solid people and a good team that can support me and build me up and allow me to allow them and have them do things that I don't necessarily have to do on a day-to-day basis and on a regular basis so that I can continue to be that visionary and be able to continue to scale and come up with ideas on how to make the, make the practice and make, the, make our businesses grow and make them bigger and better and, uh, and have that, that stronger scalability of our businesses. And so learning that art of delegation is really what allowed us to scale. But the second thing I would say that allowed us to scale is putting in certain metrics, and each business has different metrics, but being able to put certain metrics in place so we can manage the success because we're measuring that success as well on different KPIs, those key performance indicators in our business. And so we're constantly looking at those KPIs in our businesses on a weekly basis and in all, and also on a, on a daily basis so we can make sure we're hitting the goals and the targets that we're looking for. Because if you can't measure something, it's very hard to measure it. And so we had to put very specific systems in place to make sure that we could measure the various KPIs so that we can manage them properly as well. So being able to delegate, but also be able to measure your success so you can manage it properly as well. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have a full-time day job or have you always been doing businesses on your own? Yeah. So when I was going through, so my background is is actually uh, in in chiropractic. So before I got into chiropractic, um, I actually, of course, had to get my degrees, right? And so when I was working on my undergraduate degree, I actually worked for my wife's uncle. Um, At the time, she wasn't my wife, but my wife's uncle. And that's how I met my wife. But um, I was working for him and worked for him for four and a half years and, you know, made, made probably 10 bucks an hour doing that for four and a half years. But it was learning the steps of running that kind of a clinic as well. And so that was probably my longest running nine to five job, if you will, was working for him. And I did that for four years um, while I was working on my undergrad. So I have an undergrad in, in biology from the University of South Carolina. And then I, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia and graduated from Life University there. They have a college of chiropractic. And, and then in 2011, started my first practice a few years, a few years into it. Into it. Figured I was at the same time trading time for dollars because I could only adjust so many patients in an hour, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I started bringing on other other clinicians, brought on the medical team, and then eventually grew it from doing the one clinic to five clinics, and then was able to step away and, and really focus on the multifamily stuff full time once I grew those clinics to a point where I could have them as a passive investment. Nice. What are some of your tips you have for? I guess new investors or people who are younger who want to be in your position sometime in the future. I would say 
go find an operator that is doing big things and go learn underneath them. You know, I'm actually, I was on a phone call this past Tuesday with somebody It's in that very same position. He called me up and he said, I just graduated um, I'm from college. I really love the multifamily space. I'd love to do anything that you could give me to do in multifamily. And I got my wheels turning and I was like, you know, I could pay this gentleman a, a nice salary that would allow him to learn that stuff along the way and eventually he could get his own wings and go do it on his own. And we could, we could help him and support him in that way. And so there's always going to be other people out there, different operators are going to need help and assistance and being able to go to them and say, hey, these are my qualities. These are my skill sets. I want to provide value to you. And I, and I don't mind taking a pay cut to be able to do that because I know the value of the knowledge that, that, uh, that a group like us can bring to them. And so we're always looking for that kind of talent and we're always interested in, 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 in interviewing somebody for that position. But that would be something that I would definitely suggest that you, if you're new in this space and you're really passionate for it and you're not working right now and you're not, you know, you don't, you, know, you, you want to be able to learn to be able to do it in the future and you don't have the, the, the net worth and the liquidity to be able to, you know, take down the assets yourself. That's what you should do first is go find an operator, join their team, take a pay cut, be able to learn the ropes because that's where you'll really, really be able to take your, your game to the next level, especially when you start to take down these deals yourself. You'll have years of experience in it, and that helps you to leverage finding investors but also finding deals and having the brokers send you deals as well. Yeah, I think Robert Kiyosaki says you should always work for free because you know then you learn more. Um, by the way, what are some of the things that, you know, as a big operator, you are struggling with that you would appreciate outside help from? Sure. I would say there's two main areas, so or all three, I guess. Uh, and it kind of is, is from a for three partners perspective. So we're always in, in need of someone to help us from an investor relations standpoint to be able to help, you know, maybe managing our investors and, 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 and talking with our investors and teeing them up for me and, you know, getting that schedule filled and stuff like that. I have an assistant right now that helps me with that and she does phenomenally well, but she also gets overwhelmed because she's taking care of all the PPMs and the disclosure documents and the bank stuff and working with the attorney to make sure we got all the documents in place for closing. And, and so we're getting a little bit too point where we're splitting, we're, we're getting ready to need to hire on some more people right now. So we have a, a team of about you know like six people now that are that are part of our group in addition to our three partners that help to support us. But the second role I would say is is acquisitions. And so we're always needing people to be able to go out to the properties, tour the properties, you know, see if it's a good asset, do market research, do comp analysis, all the data driven stuff. And then the third one would be from an asset management perspective. You know, we're now growing to a point where we're we're needing or looking for that person to be able to help us from an asset management perspective to, you know, all right, so we need somebody to jump on a property management call every single week to make sure that we're hitting the goals and the targets that we're looking for and report back to the partners and, and do those kind of various legwork things that, you know, we can do and we're doing right now. But as we grow and scale, those are going to be some pain points that we're going to have to fill. It's smart that you're trying to outsource these tasks because I think a lot of people who are new try to do all these tasks by themselves which means you can't scale. It's very, very challenging to scale and try to do all that yourself because even right now, like so right now, my current position, I kind of told you a little bit about this in the green room, but you know, we're, we're in a position today where we have the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit coming up, the, coming up next week, right? 
We have two deals that we're closing on right now that we'll be closing on in, on July 3rd and July 22nd. So we're in the middle of, of raising funds for that and getting all the money in and talking with investors. And we're also finding our next deal and vetting the next deal and underwriting the next deal. And you know, so there's a lot of things that are going on right now and it can get to the point where it's overwhelming. And we're, we're fine as us as three partners in this, in this PassiveInvesting.com group to take less home because we can have more flexibility with our time. We would rather have more time to spend with the things that we want to do instead of having to make this be another job. And so we're fine to be able to you know, leverage other people and do what I said earlier, delegate. Delegate certain tasks that we don't necessarily have to do on a regular basis and also put some KPIs in place to make sure we're measuring things properly too. Yeah, awesome. So thanks a lot for all your tips and advice today. How can people get in contact with you? Well, there's two ways you can do that. So number one, you can go to PassiveInvesting.com. If you're interested in partnering alongside us on one of our future opportunities, you can do that. Um, I'll personally jump on a phone call with you after my assistant calls you and schedules you an appointment with me. Um, would love to be able to kind of hear some of your investment goals to see if we'd be a good fit. And then number two, if you're interested in learning more about multifamily investing, you can go to MultifamilyInvestorNation.com and uh, find out more information about our, our multifamily group, join our Facebook group, our YouTube channel, and then if if you're interested in the next Multifamily Investor Nation Summit, you can go to just mfinsummit.com. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to hearing, hearing your success as you continue to grow as well. Thanks, man. All right. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Find a mentor that's where you want to be and add massive value to that person. Show that you had success in the past so that you're not wasting their time. Create an authority platform. Dan created the online summit because no one was doing it and there were no large costs. If you want to branch out, you need to differentiate yourself. Go to non-real estate meetups and speak on non-real estate podcasts. People will think that you're unique and will be more likely to work with you in the future. I hope you all learned a lot. You can find the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.